You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. My name is Omari Salisbury, flying solo today. Trey Holiday has the day off, so you know what? You're stuck with me. But we got a great show lined up here today. It's Thursday. You already know I'm real happy because it's Thursday already, right? But it's also Throwback Thursday, and today we're going to be taking a look at social clubs of the Central District. Well, Stephanie Johnson tolerated with that. And our big thing we're talking about today is like, you know, culturally relevant in, in life and culturally relevant in death and those facing death, death with dignity, man. And talking about hospice care and hospice care in the black community. Um, we've got a social worker here, Nathan Yamani, and lots of lots of letters, alphabet soup after his name, M-S-W-L-I-S-C-W. <laughs> <laughs> he got a lot of them, but he's going to be in here talking about that uh, real important. And also, we got to uh, check in again with Traveling While Black in Seattle as they go up to Woodenville. So a uh, great show on tap for you today. Let's get it going, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Morning Update Show. want to remind you right now, right now is the perfect opportunity for you to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel would appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating from right here in the Emerald City. want to give a big shout out to our partners over at KBCS 91.3 Bellevue College and also the South Seattle Emerald. Remind everybody that you can listen to the Morning Update show anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. we got a link for SoundCloud going in over there in the comments, but you can also go to Google, Spotify, iTunes, or 200 other platforms. All you have to do is search Converge Media Network. All right, time in the show here where we talk about hereforuswa.org and man i just got some news somebody somebody else that i know just man got covid uh, you know it's still out there it's it's still real you know the 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 death rate is in its high unfortunately but man it is definitely still out there and it's out there in our community um so that resource right there, hereforuswa.org, it's a lot of information there in, in regarding the vaccine, um, regarding booster shots, <clears throat> testing, but mostly for people who might be vaccine hesitant. Answers a lot of questions, concerns that you might have right there. So you definitely want to check that out. Um, what do we got here? Well, we still have the request for information. This is from the uh, Department of Education and Early Learning. We got an overlay over there and link going into the comments. They got a million dollars um, in grants up to $75,000 for community-based organizations who are providing um, you know, educational tools and educational access to, um, to school-age children here in the city of Seattle. And that's through DEAL. And we got that link in right over there. Um, also want to mention... Swan Lake, we got we got some tickets to the Seattle uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet to Swan Lake on Sunday. Swan Lake on Sunday at 7 p.m. If you're interested in going to see Swan Lake, then send Basa Gordon an email. That's Basa, B-E-S-A, at whereweconverge.com. And, uh, yeah, go out to the ballet, you know what I'm saying, take some pictures, post up whatever but enjoy the show and really um looking for people who may have never been to the ballet before or might have a young aspiring ballet dancer or anybody interested in dance in your home uh send based on email b-e-s-a at where we converge.com um so 
In other news, I'm glad I'm already downtown and this is where I'd be. We got President Biden is in, he's in town today. He's down in Portland first. And Biden is coming um, here later on today. She'll be landing about 530 out of SeaTac. So, and that's going to impact traffic all over. And why I said I'm happy I'm already downtown because I'm going to the Mariners game tonight uh, with Kevin Schofield. Actually, with wordy and nerdy Kevin Schofield, we're going to go see the M's tonight. And, you know, we were talking about traffic around the stadium because Biden's in town. I'm like, man, luckily for me, I'm within walking distance. But I'm curious to know your thoughts. How do you guys feel? The president of the United States is here visiting Seattle. Um, as of now, they haven't unveiled any public events. It looks like it's uh, mostly fundraisers, donors. Uh, he's supposed to do something around the environment, or maybe announce some legislation or something like that. But how do you feel? Does the president visiting here in Seattle, does it impact you or does it like make you inspired? Does it make you uninspired? What are your feelings about President Biden coming here to Seattle? And also, like, you know, is there an impact in our community? You know, anybody feel it any kind of way? You know, did, at all, did anybody that you know or you personally get, get invited? Or are you going to any of these events um, that, that President Biden is attending? You know what I'm saying? Let your fingers do the talking, man. Let me know what's on your mind. How, how you feeling about this presidential visit? Um We'll get right into our throwback Thursday right here. Uh, so as you know, we the our, our um, iconic interview wall right here with photos, a uh, majority of them from the Al Smith collection at, at Mohai and also from the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. And when we put this wall together, we envisioned, there you go. When we put this wall together, we envisioned being able to tell different stories that are on the wall. And that vision has now come to a reality in our Throwback Thursday segments where Stephanie Johnson Tolliver from the Black Heritage Society of Washington State tells us a few different stories on this wall. Today, she's talking about social clubs in the Central District. Hello everyone, hello community. I am Stephanie Johnson Tolliver and I am president at the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. It's Thursday, it's my favorite day of the week. It's Throwback Thursday. The photo of the Royal Esquires, 1949. This is one of my favorite group photos. They're pictured at Collins Field on 14th Avenue and South Washington Street. The building was raised in 1975. Yeah, another one of those sad vanishing places. The Royal Esquires established in 1947, and they were founded by five black men who were looking for a place that was welcoming and a place to socialize. You know, the Central District had a number of organizations that were all about socializing and creating and extending hobbies, um, creating entertainment, uh, education and give back to the community. The social clubs were at the forefront of the black community. And this year, and this is fact, LaDom's Bridge Club that was founded in 1947, 2022 marks the 75th year. They are still together. They exist today and play bridge at the Central Area Senior Center. 
Members of that group are, and we know them, Gertrude Peoples, Dorothy Hollingsworth, Mary Henry, Josephine Stokes. I'd say that these social groups contributed much to our community. And what you'll see in other photos here that we're sharing are from the Vogue group. It's on the mural wall. And then other images are of the Dramatic Club, the first AME Dramatic Club founded in 1915, the Prince Hall Masons, the Grand Master Russell Gideon, um, and this photograph from 1960, Club de facto, and the first Tom Thumb wedding, 1947, and the Men's Club at the YMCA, 1952, are just examples of the different clubs that were here and in the Seattle Central District. One of my favorites was the Self-Improvement Club. If these walls could talk, you heard it here. All right. Thank you, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been like a real literally a transformational experience. And we've got so many stories. And like she said, if these walls could talk, you heard it here, you know, uh, <laughs> man, I love Thursdays. Uh, what do we got coming up next? Okay. We're getting ready to go to a break right now. When we come back, there he is. Nathan Yamani is coming here and we're talking about hospice and hospice care in the black community. You're watching the morning update show. When COVID first hit, I was very afraid. There was so much things that I had to keep inside because I didn't know where to place my feelings. Most of my information for COVID is from my own research. I'm a doctor in educational leadership. And when the FDA approved Pfizer, it helped me realize that the vaccination is healthy. We don't want to be left behind because we're not taking the vaccine, but we want to get as much information as possible so that we are putting ourselves in better hands and not at great risk. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. Of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Faisa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. All right, welcome back to the Morning Update Show. Joining me now on set, Nathan Yamani. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, good. Appreciate well, it. Yeah, welcome to the Black Media Matter Studios. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good stuff. So we're, we're talking about something here today. <clears throat> a lot of times we don't. Well, unfortunately, we do talk about death a lot here on this show. We talk about gun violence and things happening out in the city. But something that we, we don't talk about here a lot is end of life care and hospice care and things like that. And also, usually if it is talked about, it's never really looked at in a, a cultural kind of lens and so, first of all, I'll let you introduce yourself more to our audience here, and then we could talk about your organization mm -hmm. and what you guys are trying to do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so just to uh, give you a little bit of background about myself, I grew up uh, just south of here, um, graduated from Auburn High School, and, uh, you know, uh, really wanted to pursue something 
uh, in the uh, social service field and the, the health field, primarily because of my uh, my father's influence. Ended up getting uh, my master's in social work uh, from University of Oklahoma. Got into medical uh, social work and uh, really uh, wanted to uh, you know make a difference, especially when it comes to healthcare, since uh, there are a lot of disparities, especially when it comes to like black health. Uh, and un other underserved uh, uh, groups and populations. And so, um, you know, th the reason that I decided to get into hospice, especially in this part in, in Seattle, is uh, primarily because there was a need for it. Uh, th there are over nine hospices in King County. None are Black-governed or Black-owned. And uh, I felt like uh, having representation, the, the governing body, and for the community to be able to see uh, someone who looks like them representing them in healthcare was important, especially at end of life. Um, and uh, especially because of also the cultural component that you just mentioned. Uh, understanding the culture, uh, understanding the importance of cultural relevance, uh, relevance cultural competency. Uh, you know, my work as a medical social worker, I've seen cultural incompetency. I know how that impacts black families. I've been in black, you know, families' homes and understanding uh, how uh, people at the, at the at the top who are you know uh, you know not of the culture just not being able to relate and so yeah I, I think, saw the need I think that and we can we can even be more blunt about it in that you know we already know that there's an empathy gap yeah in in healthcare across America and we already know that there's all these perceptions about black people and their tolerance to pain and everything else. And we also know that, man, we got to advocate for our people, especially like when they're in the hospital. And so, like, we spent a lot of time the last two years just being present in hospitals because mm -hmm. you get treated a bit differently being black if people know that you got somebody in the hospital advocating for you, Absolutely. that you're not there, that, yeah, you know, you want to talk to the doctor, you want to talk to the medical professional. That, that gap is real. When in during the, the the living, you know what I'm saying? When when you're fighting for your life for everyday health care, I can only imagine what that gap looks like when end of life care. When when you talk about some of these examples that you see, what are the 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 the, the disparities or the the differences that you see when it comes to black people and and how they're treated in hospices? So uh, there's just generally a lack of trust. I mean, when you think about the experiences that the black population has had historically with medical systems, uh, there is justified lack of trust. And so already uh, they're going into the situation. Uh, I, I remember I had a family that specifically asked for a black nurse because they just have had bad experiences in, in, in medical systems and healthcare systems. Uh, well, when they asked for that, they were labeled as being racist for asking for that. And so that just kind of just paints the picture of how misunderstood a lot of uh, black families are when it comes to and black individuals are when it comes to healthcare systems. Um, I'll tell you some, some other statistics in terms of disparities. Specifically, we're talking about the black elderly uh, population, right? The black elderly population in America, and this is by um, the Kaiser Foundation, they, they came out with this information. Uh, out of any other people group, uh, visited the ER uh, department of hospitals the most, uh, had the most ad uh, hospital admissions, uh, and also have the most uh, hospital readmissions. And a lot of these folks that are going through this are people that are dealing with terminal illness that are at, at end of life and that should be a, a, and would be getting uh, hospice care. And so 
Um, it, it's, it's those factors that made me realize, okay, I got to do something. And if I'm going to do it, I got to do it my way. And I, I partnered up with uh, uh, David Turner, uh, a, a mentor of mine who had done hospices in, uh, in Michigan and Tennessee and just wanted to do something that was black governed so that people saw representation, uh, so that people could have trust and know, OK, people on the other side look like me and they represent me and are able to empathize, like you said earlier. Yeah, I mean, more than anything in the life, you need people who one value your humanity and see you as a whole person. Uh, and two, you know, of course, empathy is real, real important. You know, of sympathy, but empathy. Um, so what what's the landscape like now? You said that there's nine hospices that, that are operating here in King County. Your hope is to become a number 10. Uh, right. right. What is that process like to to go? And maybe you can explain to everybody where you guys are at in this process. OK, well, I'll just uh, kind of keep it short right now. Uh, the state is uh, looking at four applicants. We're one of those applicants and uh, the state is going to be giving two certificates. So only two of the four are going to be uh, operating and established in the future. And uh, we're, we're letting the state know, hey, uh, it, we, you got to have somebody like us that has grassroots existence. You know, we work with the community. We have relationships with churches. Uh, we have the support of churches. We have the support of uh, black organizations, the Urban League uh, of Metropolitan Seattle, the NAACP, uh, the health committee, the chapter in Seattle, King County. Uh, I, mean, I could go on. We have we we've built relationships and we've let people know grassroots wise the, 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 the reason and the need for something like what we have to provide. And we're wanting to let the state know, hey, um, we we're going to be able to address disparities that exist that they're well aware of. Wow. Yeah, I know um, my buddy, Ashley McGirt, um, she does the Washington Therapy Fund as well as a private practice. And but before that, she was a social worker at a hospice and she was telling us how even the way that sometimes things are communicated to black people in the hospice and the words that they were using, you know what I'm saying? With man, do you want your pain to end? You know what yeah. I'm saying? They ask these kind of questions that most people be like, yeah, it, it, that, that alters the trajectory of the end of life care. Right. 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 It, it, maybe you can expand on that. Yeah. It, it, the, the, the thing is, is that, uh, a lot of families, a lot of individuals are getting this, some of the same thing that they've always received in, term of, in terms of uh, health care. And, and that is, uh, you know, things that are done to further exasperate that lack of trust that I was talking about. And so uh, th th and that's why representation is important when they see a doctor. And, and this has been proven by data. When when a black person sees a black doctor on the other side, there's a greater level of trust when they see a provider or healthcare system that is black governed or black owned. There is a there, there is improved uh, uh, outcomes and just a better sense of trust there. And so and, 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 and you know, one thing I will tell you is that the decision that the the, the, the certificate of need program they're the ones that approve uh, hospices uh, and they're a part of the DOH. The decision that they're making is based on a legislation that already points out that applicants should be prioritized based on their, uh, uh, you know, uh, work with special populations. And the way the special populations in that legislation is spelled out includes racial and ethnic minorities. And so the legislation is there supporting us. We just want 
to make sure the Department of Health also is uh, is believing in what we uh, we are intending on doing. All right. So this is a decision that, that comes out of Olympia. And what you're saying is, is there's two licenses for two licenses for hospices available. There's four applicants. You're the only applicant that's, that's serving our that would serve our community and people that look like us or kind of like us. And um, when, when are they supposed to be making a decision on this? So uh, just just to add on to what you just said, we're the only applicant. And historically, there's never been an applicant that has come out and said we are here for the black community. So this is you know unprecedented. We we you know we we have an attorney that's looked into previous decisions that the certificate of need program has made, and none has been based on the premise that we are coming with, which is we are here for the black community. And so we are a first, and we're we're we are wanting to make sure the Department of Health prioritizes us in the way that the legislation says that they should they should do. So what I hear you saying is it basically y'all the first black folk to go down there and apply mm -hmm. for a hospice right. as well. And so and so and this is why it's important is because we're this is about black owned healthcare, not just in hospice, but in healthcare in general. We, you know, we, we are trying to get into a space that we've never really been uh, given the uh, the room to, to to exist in, especially black governed. I mean, I, you know how it is. In the 1940s, there were over 120 black governed, black owned hospitals. Right now, Howard uh, uh, Medical Center, Howard University Medical Center, is the only one. So it's 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 historically been shown that there's space for black owned healthcare has been limited and and it's tapered. I mean, drastically, and so. Uh, we're wanting to make sure that we represent not just hospice, but, but black owned healthcare. Man, I'm going to be honest with you that this is something that, that needs to happen. Um, well, even more than that, I will say that this presents an opportunity for the state of Washington under the guidance of our governor Inslee, who last year, released the equity bill, you know what I'm saying, and wanted to put money in places to be able to really repair rations of the past and be able to build a firm foundation for the future. But, you know, I'm always one who's, who says a lot that, like, money comes and goes, but policies. And so sometimes, you know, the money be out there, but it's out of a smokescreen because money disappears or community fights over it, but no policy has changed. I think that this presents a perfect opportunity for the, the powers that be down to, in Olympia to actually use policy to match their words about equity and access, right? Because a lot, you know, people use money, they go, they print more money, they get more money out, but a policy change. So this is actually an opportunity for a historic opportunity for the state of Washington, a yes. historic opportunity here, and also for their actions to match their words, right? Right, for their actions to match what's said in the legislation already. Mm. Priorities should be made to applicants that are emphasizing and are focusing on um, special populations, i.e. Uh, race, racial and ethnic minorities. Yeah, Sean, I'm, I'm a, who we need to talk to down in Olympia, man? Well, so I'll, I'll tell you this, just, uh, just to let the public know um, two things. One is uh, there is an article that the South Seattle Emerald um, wrote about us, and they did contact 
the state uh, Department of Health and the Certificate of Need program. And you can read about it and the response that the state uh, gave them. Um, uh, that link is available right for, for our viewers. So I'll say that. And then the next thing I want to say is there is an email address that you could write if you want to advocate for black owned healthcare, if you want to advocate for us and you want to see representation in healthcare uh, on the other side of healthcare when it comes to providers and, and those that are providing care in the community, um, then I say write to the Department of Health and let them know, hey, we're aware that there's a hospice that is trying to come into uh, King County to, to serve uh, uh, an underserved population and, 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 and they, need to, they need to be approved if they meet the criteria. And we feel like we meet the criteria in terms of what the state is looking at. Right. And so Shaman has put that email address there in the comments and you need to refresh the audience, the name of your organization. It's YBG Healthcare. It's, it's YBG Healthcare. And it is basically uh, we're going to be uh, DBA Heart and Soul Hospice. Uh, but it's YBG Healthcare that is applying right. uh, with the state right now. Right. So what I would say is this, you know, we got we got a lot of activists who, uh, who follow Converge and they stay active there in the column. I'm sure somebody in there already got their email browser open. And man, let let the state of Washington know. I mean, one th one thing is for sure is in dealing with government. If you don't make no noise, you can have no expectation for anything to happen. So, if representation and and in healthcare and representation in that field and representation in end of life care is important to you. If it's important to your family members, I know we have people in our audience, our listening audience, who've who've had family members go through hospice, and you know, and it's 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 real, it's it's intense, and you sit there, and you know, I mean, you you literally watch your loved one pass away, and when people have an absence of humanity. As life is leaving the human body, when people can't see you as whole and treat you as whole and treat you as just human, you know, some of our some of our elders have lived their whole life. <clears throat> some of our elders have lived their whole life in this country. And from birth to death, been shown no respect, been shown no dignity. And man, if we can find a space where in their final days they can be shown some humanity and dignity, then that's what we need to do. Absolutely. I I, mean, I can't really say any more than what you said. And 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 the thing is, is that uh, the the ability to be able to show empathy and the ability to be able to culturally relate. That's something that uh in, in, in my experience with my father at end of life care that we lacked was that cultural competence. And I don't want that to be a memory of how he passed, but it, but that is the fact. And that's, that's one of the reasons I think our existence is important. It's because we're not going to mess it up at the end of life for families. Uh, we're going to relate to them and we're going to meet them where they're at and their uh, cultural, uh, what they expect culturally as opposed to violating it. Yeah. And if if anyone in the viewing audience, if you never had a loved one transition through a hospice, it's it's important 
that not only in the caregiving to the loved one, but the care that's given to the family. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's the it's uh it's something. I'll I'll say that. And you know, it's something when you see your loved ones pass away and they've reached a point really of no return. And now they're on God's time. And all we can do is provide comfort and care, yeah. you know, and, and understanding and respect and dignity. Man, I just, I don't know. I mean, he just caught me here for a second because I just think about so many of our elders yeah. who leave this earth, you know, who never called sir or ma'am their whole life. Yeah. Who's at colored water fountains. Yeah. And here at end of life to be able to give them some dignity, man, y'all need to get active out there. That email address, y'all need to, y'all need to email. Y'all need to talk to DOH. It's very rare on air that you'll ever hear me advocate for any, we get politicians on here. We get all kinds of people on here. I'm like, yeah, just go vote. I won't tell people go vote for this or go vote that. But on this, I'm going to tell you, this is something that we need. Yeah, We need this in our community. We need this care. Y'all need to, y'all need to let your fingers do the talking and send an email. Y'all need to reach out to DOH. You need to let people know that, man, this needs to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, what, what I want everybody to know also is that the, the people that we have leading uh, this, this, this hospice uh, project, it, you know, I obviously, you know, you know me, but uh, David Turner uh, and uh, Dr. Carla Ainsworth, our medical director, uh, the, these are people that have been in hospice for a long time. Uh, you know, you're not dealing with amateurs. You're dealing with people that have that have that understand the disparities in hospice, that understand uh, what Amari was just talking about, the experiences that black individuals in this country have had in healthcare systems and how they've been wronged and how. With our project, at end of life, we're going to try to make sure that we get it right because of everything that they've been through. And, and I'm not just talking about in, in terms of hospitals. Even outside, I'll tell you this. I went to uh, the University of Oklahoma for my master's in social work. The University of Oklahoma Medical Center was built on homes taken away from black families. Over 600 homes were removed to build a medical center. So it's not even really what, what people have experienced in hospitals. It's what people have experienced in terms of their homes being taken away for, for a hospital to be built. How could you go to that hospital if, if that hospital was built on where your home existed? So it, we're talking about that kind of mistreatment and injustices that people have experienced in healthcare systems. And we're trying to get it right at end of life with, with our project. And so uh, that's what we're about. Yeah, man, for reals. Um, so, so Salman has put the, the length of our partners over at the South Seattle Emerald. They actually wrote an article here, and it was actually the South Seattle Emerald who connected us. It yes, really, Marcus, really, yes. It really felt that this was an, a really important enough story that we wanted to amplify it across all of our platforms. Email address is is in there as well. What's the, the deadline or decision date for this? So uh, we have a, a, a public hearing coming up May 5th, and then they're going to make a decision. Uh, they uh, are estimating at the end of August of this year. So August uh, 2022. And so uh, we have, you know, about four months before we find out. 
And is there is there a public hearing on this at all? How, how does that kind of stuff operate? So the, the public hearing is really kind of uh, they send out an invitation and uh, we get to present uh, our project mm -hmm. along with the other applicants. All and right. So it isn't the general public. It's you presenting and your presentation being available to the public. Right. Right. And it's 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 kind of who the uh, certificate of need uh, department kind of, you know, invites. And, you know, the way that that whole thing was set up even, you know, is just not really accessible for the community. It's on a Thursday morning at 9 a.m., Microsoft Teams, you know, weekday, you know, it, it just, it just kind of, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really comfortable with that. But at the end of the day, I feel passionate about what we're doing. And it doesn't matter what time they set those type of things. I feel like we have the support and doing things like what we're doing now will kind of propel us. Well, yeah, and I'll say this is that, the Department of Health in the state of Washington. Now, there's the Department of Health. They got a campaign. You see right here. That's the hereforwa.org. That's coming from the Department of Health because the Department of Health uh, recognized disparities within the black community with COVID response. And so in and, and and people taking the vaccine. So the Department of Health has already shown that if something is important, important for a black community here. And what they've shown here was around the vaccine. They mobilized the whole campaign. There's TV commercials, there's events. We did a special, there's advertising everywhere and else. So clearly the Department of Health is able to look at specific populations here in the state of Washington and be able to take that into consideration and literally put money where their mouth is and be able to create policy to be able to reach specific audiences. That's what's happening right now with hereforuswa.org. That's out of the Department of Health. So, brother, I stand here optimistic that the yeah. same people there at the Department of Health in Olympia will realize that this as well is a specific need for our community and community of colors for death with dignity. Absolutely. in hospices in our community. So, you know what I'm saying? We we want to we want to empower the Department of Health to continue upon this this road they're on. They're off to a great start with with what they're doing around uh here for us wa.org and or they've they've shown that they're able to look and look at data and everything else and make responsive decisions. And man, let's hope that they look at this situation like that as well. Absolutely. And you know, like you said, it, it, it's it's time and it's one of those things where we need more Black-owned healthcare. If we want to change health outcomes, not just the end of life in terms of end of life care, obviously that's more uh, palliative care, not aggressive care. But in general, for people to have ac better access to healthcare, uh, you just need more Black-owned healthcare. I believe that is the solution. Man, that's just dope. We just need more Black-owned. I like that too. You know, my mama used to always say, "We ain't begging, we buying." And we need to be out of a system where we begging all the time, you know, and we, we need we need to go where where we're, we're treated, you know, with with this level of respect and this level of, of dignity. And it's it's important. And that work is important. Um, you could go ahead and let people know, man, if they want to su support or if they want to reach out to you, or if they want more information, man, how can people catch up with you? Um, uh, that's that's a good question. Um, I. I um one of the things that we really can't have or don't have, because we're not an established hospice agency, uh, we can't really 
publicize our information like we're established so we don't have a website or anything uh just because uh you know again we've not been approved yet but we you know one thing i would tell in terms of people reaching out doing something is send an email to the certificate of need program at department of health uh that i think that email like i, I said earlier is, is is available and and let them know uh that that is the best way to support um wh what we're doing and to let the health department know that uh, the community's voice counts. The community has to have input in the decision that the Department of Health is making about King County. So if you if you live in King County, uh, you know, let your voice be uh, heard. So I, I appreciate you asking for that. Yeah, no, it's, it's all good. <clears throat> Man, you know, people who watch Converge, you know, we love our elders over here. It's, it's uh, and I know hospice is across, you know what I'm right. saying? Um, people were terminal. But, uh, man, we love our elders over here. And it'd be two things that really get us to move. And as it, our young people and our elders, we cherish and value our elders. You know, there's an old African proverb that says every time an elder passes away, it's like a library burns to the ground. And, man, anything that we can do, anything that we can do, that in the last days, our elders, that they're here, that we can provide the best care and comfort yeah. and support and respect, man, I'm with it. Absolutely. And I, and I really want to, you know, let, let people know and challenge people to really look into the, the, the data and numbers and look, in, look at how uh, the black elder population is being impacted, whether it's COVID, whether it's healthcare, whether it's other different areas. Uh, you know, get interested, you know, because th there are a lot of disparities. Uh, they're they're an at-risk group in, in, in several areas, not just in health. I'm talking about the black elder population. And like you said, we should care enough. And part of caring means studying, looking at the data, looking at what, what statistics say, and where, where can you help? What can you do to make a difference within that population? Hey, man. It was a strength of Big Mama and them that got us here. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's like we 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 owe that generation, like you said, to get involved. And and really, when you look at it, and you could <clears throat> excuse me, you could imagine. You know, we always say when when America sneezes, black people catch a cold, and you know the the impacts, the disparities, are real. And, you know, one of the things here, because of our smaller population, we talked about this with COVID, a lot of times we live isolated here in Seattle and in King County because we don't see that actual impact like you see down there in mm -hmm. Oklahoma mm -hmm. or South Carolina mm -hmm. or North Carolina or mm -hmm. Mississippi, or Alabama. And you see the state of things and people here wouldn't believe it. Listen, man, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. And I want to thank you for informing our audience and also for giving them a call to action. Our audience loves a challenge. We've now challenged them to make their voice heard down there in Olympia. I appreciate you for having me and I appreciate you for caring and for um, the showing, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the emotion and the, the, the sincerity. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in this together and I uh, am really grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, no doubt. And about about our elders, man, I'm always going to care. Converge is always going to care. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going directly into another episode of Traveling While Black in Seattle. These guys, this time they're in Woodinville. You see the weather's changing, so it's time to go hit the wineries. The loves they got on, uh, on the road 
and um, went up to Woodenville. So we'll dive into that. You're watching the Morning Update Show. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Basa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. As a non-binary black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with black folks to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. Welcome to Traveling While Black in Seattle. Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony. This is my wife, Marley. And welcome to another episode of Traveling Wild Black in Seattle. Yes, welcome back, everyone. And as a brief reminder, our show is based on our experiences in and around Seattle. And we base those experiences off of how good of a drive it was, how much fun we had, and most importantly, how comfortable do we feel as Black people visiting for the first time? So recently, we put out a question on our social media platforms asking you guys, what type of place would you like to see us visit next? And out of all of the choices, the winner was wineries. You drunks. Yes, and so we found a winery very close uh, to Seattle in Woodenville, Washington, and the winery is called Navali Hill Janook Winery, and I love wine, so I was happy about this episode. So uh, again, everyone, take a look and let us know what you think. Navali Hill Janook Winery is located in Woodenville, Washington, only 12 miles away from downtown Seattle. The winery, during normal circumstances, offers events, tastings, delicious food, and of course, wine. Due to the COVID restrictions, they have modified the services a bit, but you can still get the food and the wine. Drive grade. Woodenville we thought would be a great choice for a winery visit, being it's not that far from Seattle. Again, only 12 miles. 12 miles equated to a 25 minute drive with tolls, a 30 minute drive without. As you probably already guessed, our drive was about 30 minutes. Ha! <laughs> yes. The ride wasn't bad, even with the extra five minutes. It was mostly city, traffic was light, or at least moving, and it felt like we made it back in no time. Although the views weren't all that, quick drive, light traffic, and really nice weather are all ingredients for a good drive. For drive grade, we give a four out of five. Level of fun. So here's the thing, it's a winery. Even more so, it's a winery during Corona. So I wasn't expecting this place to rank very high on the level of fun meter. I, on the other hand, was hopeful. Woodenville is in phase three of reopening. They require you to make appointments for groups up to five people. Each reservation is up to 90 minutes in which guests are invited to purchase wines by the glass or bottle, as well as an expanded menu. All the while, enjoying the beautiful scenery of the winery. So we ate and drank some wine. 
Well, some of us more than others. Hee <laughs> hee. Yeah, those some of us did pay for it though. Dang. But to tell the truth, sitting in the warm weather underneath the umbrella, enjoying some wine, food, and conversation with the wife was pretty enjoyable. And it was made all the better by the beauty of the winery. Yes, Novelty Hills Nuke Winery provided us with good food, good wine, <laughs> and a generally good time. Yeah, I admit that I did have some fun. So for level of fun, we give a four out of five. Comfortability for black people. So full disclosure, my cousin did recommend Novelty Hills Nook Winery and part of the reason we ended up picking it was because it was close. Part of the reason. We also picked it because the general manager was a brother. It's our show, we can be selective. Yep, but even if that wasn't the case, we saw quite a few black people and other people of color. So, I'd estimate on my injured memory that there were about 16 people in and out during our visit. I recall seeing about three other black people, including us, that makes a total of five black people. That means that 31% of the folks there were black, and that's an unbelievable stat in Seattle. Yep, and the service was good, the staff was very welcoming, starting from when they greet you at the parking entrance. So, for comfortability for black people, we give it a five out of five. We hope you found this video to be helpful and entertaining. Be sure to check out all of our other previous episodes. Yes, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And again, thanks for letting us know that you guys wanted to check out wineries and let us know if there's anywhere else you would want us to check out as well. Until next time, beautiful people, stay up, stay true, and do you. Yeah, man. Love the Marlies. <laughs> Yeah, I love, I love the loves, Anthony and and uh, Marley Love. Um, man, this was uh, this turned out to be a pretty good show. We're flying solo today, and you know, of course, today's Thursday. We'll, we'll touch on a few things here in a second, but I do have a few things to go over. As tonight looks like clapback culture, clapback culture, seven o'clock tonight with uh, Mike Davis and Julia Jesse. So you want to check that out. And then at 9 o'clock tonight, it's The Factors. We got The Factors TV with Ronald and Ronnell Moore. So we'll be checking that out as well. I encourage you guys to check in and support. And, yeah, so today is Thursday, and I'm usually all excited because, you know, clearly I'm off tomorrow. It's Feel Good Friday with Trey Holiday. But wanted to let you guys know that next week we're finally we're taking, we're taking a break um and so there's not gonna be a morning update show we might put some best on best of on next week yeah i know i know but um a much much deserved break you know and uh it actually be the first real break for me meaning that even when you don't see me on air because when the show's on air or the different shows i'm still putting shows together and lining up interviews and the emails and this and that. So this will be the first time. Whew, man, <laughs> that's crazy. The first time since March of 2020 that it's an actual real 100% break. I remember we were off air before we were repairing the studio. It was always something. So this would be the first time I said, I'm putting my little autoresponder. It should go on at 12.01. I'm telling people, man, don't talk to me until May 2nd. You know, I'm not, I'm not answering any emails, phone calls. So I'm not, I'm not acting funny if you don't hear from me, but this would be the first 
We just been through a lot. In, in the last two years, March 19th, marked two years of the morning update show. And look at everything. In the last two years, I'm getting ready to go over to Seattle University now and talk to uh, into a class over there. It's uh, Tyra from Como Force. She has a class over there that she's teaching at Seattle University. And last night I was sitting with Alia D'Alessandro editing up video for the last two years. And man, it's a lot of tragedy from protest to all these murders that we covered and the impact and the toll on us. And uh, it's been a long two years. And so for the first time in 24, I guess it's 25 months, I'm not touching or doing anything. No email, no phone call. We'll come back the first week of May better than ever. It's, um, the show has been, it's been, it's been such a, it's a great thing. And I appreciate all y'all. It's also been such a burden mentally, you know, to, to, to continue to cover these things that just impact us directly and take such a mental strain. And um, yeah, so what you gonna do on your week off, Salman? Good stuff. So we're finally all gonna get a chance to rest. Um, so all the other shows are still beyond though. You know, clap like next week, clap back and factor is Seattle News Views and Brews is it's just a morning show. And we'll still have our segment, uh throwback Thursday. We're gonna but it'll go onto the onto the web. But I just want to tell all y'all thank you. Y'all been with me. Some of y'all do it all. Y'all never left. And I appreciate you. So I'm going to take a break. A real break this time. Like I said, for the first time. And uh, I look forward to seeing all you guys the first week in May when the morning update show comes back. Feel Good Friday will be on tomorrow with Trey Holiday. Um, I'm so thankful for all of y'all. Thankful. I'm just blessed. And on that note, let me dry it up over here. On that note, I want to remind you to go forward in your purpose Go forward in your humanity. And until Monday, May 2nd, peace.
What do I see through a lens of fear? A thousand little steps to go. What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know. I've been running on the edge of a sundown, sleeping in the shadow. I've been begging you to see me, then hiding beyond the unreachable. Looking now left on a right hand turn, just trying to make a deal. The lazy shoes of love is a love that turn. That's the kind of food that heals. I've been searching for the end of an era, waiting to be ready. The world is bigger than a moment. Be steady, that's how you can feel it's real. But I feel naked. I got used to hiding the holes This whole world got new tricks And I'm in the thick of it This I swear I'm already sick of it At least I found the produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media. <laughs> 